0: And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino.
1: Hello, 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 everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. We are live from, I don't know, my house, and I have my hair on my top of my head like I always do, my glasses on, my sweats on, and we are going to have a very wonderful conversation with Nancy Levin, who is a fellow Hay House author. And... Um, Boy, she got a lot going on. I'm so excited to have you here with me, Nancy. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Hi. Today? Thanks, for
2: I'm, I'm great. We're actually having our very first snow today.
1: <laughs> oh, that's not so great. I want to hear that. That means it's coming to Maine. Oh. I know.
2: It's actually, it's actually very pretty. And one of the best things yeah. about living in Colorado is that we have 300, we have 300 plus days of sunshine. So tomorrow, it will all be gone.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I loved visiting there. I had such a blast. I hadn't been there in a really long time. It's really grown, but it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, it is. Yeah, I love beautiful, it there. beautiful there. Yeah, I, I do, too. And uh, Maine's kind of like that in a way, too. It's just I wouldn't say we've got that beautiful, you know, sunshine all year round or anything, but it's just kind of a very beautiful place to be. So I'm sure wherever you're listening from, it's beautiful where you are as well. Um, but I wanted to, I want to tell you a little bit about, yeah, absolutely. Tell tell everybody a little bit about Best Ever You before we, uh, get started. We're on a mission here to raise awareness, to inspire you, to embrace your inner love, gifts, and talents that create the essence of who you really are. And we have the perfect guest for this today, but we're challenging you to share this uniqueness with the world. We're Best Ever You. When I created this in 2008, um, I created what I hoped would be a trusted, place to discover or rediscover your authentic best self and to create a a, like a vision and practice that vision to really live where each moment in your life matters and really root in gratitude so our goal is to assist you to connect with your true self to others around you and to the world as a whole in peace and for peace your highest best self in my opinion and Nancy, you can chime in and, and see if you agree with me here but your highest, best self, and best life mean making a commitment to yourself to become healthy in all ways, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, and emotionally. So take it away, Nancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> agree? <laughs> of course I agree. Yeah. Of course. I love everything that you're standing for here. Yeah. It's a it's a crazy world we live in, and it's a wonderful world we live in. But we're we're here to help each other be your best. And you're, you're an author. How many books have you written now? I love it. Uh, There's more coming out. My fifth book
2: book is coming out in January. And what's it called?
1: It's called Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free. Uh, Now, see, I can remember a while back now in, I think it was 2014, my book came out on 41414. And I can remember Mm -hmm. being, I, I, I was telling you about this. I can remember being at this conference with you in Denver and, being a very new Hay House author and not having a clue at all, really. And um, you were somebody who I was just drawn to, and you gave me the nicest hug. And I remember at that moment, thank you for that always. I remember at that moment you were just putting your own book out as well. You were changing. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? (laughs) Sure,
2: sure. Yeah, because at that point in April of 2014, that was a really pivotal time in my own life because I still was in my position as the event director at Hay House. So I was in that position for 12 years producing all the live events around the world with all the authors and just in 2010. So just, you know, four years prior, I had gone through my own, you know, dark night of the soul crisis really from, from 2008 to 2010 uh, in the form of a very difficult and contentious divorce, and so, on the other side of that divorce, I ended up deciding to do a life coach training certification program with my dear friend, the late debbie Ford, and I did it because I really just wanted to know myself better. I had no desire to be a life coach i had my dream job at Hay House. And I really did that coaching training because I wanted to just connect the dots in my own life. But on the other side of that training, I was unrecognizable from the woman who started it. It was astonishing to me how much had shifted in my life. And I began shifting out of this belief that my job at Hay House was what I was meant to do for the rest of my life and started sort of shifting into knowing that I had a different calling to actually go out on my own and publish books and coach and teach and train and do all the things I'm doing now. So that April twenty fourteen was really pivotal because my my book Jump in your life will appear came out in February twenty fourteen. And then I ended up leaving my position at Hay House by August of 2014.
1: How scary was that moment when you left Hay House? Because you're—I mean—you're still connected. You're Hay House author, and you—you oh, yeah. you have a call-in radio show and all that. But yeah. how? Describe yeah. that moment.
2: <laughs> sure. So you know, I mean, I—in order to describe that moment, I have to actually backtrack a tiny bit. And so, as I after I'd gone through my training. You know, by like 2011, I was sort of, you know, getting more clear on, it's when I actually published my first book, which is, was a book of poetry, and then I self-published that book, and then I was, you know, spending more time on stage speaking. So in the it, originally, I had been uh, just seeing all of our events and, you know, introducing the speakers and the lunch break and all that, and then I started sharing my poems, and then I started you know, doing keynotes, keynotes of my own, still while I had my job. So I was wearing two hats. And somewhere around, so in 2013, Reed Tracy, the president and CEO of Hay House, who's a dear friend of mine and who's always been, you know, an, a mega advocate and cheerleader for me, uh, we were out on a walk in Melbourne, Australia. We were there doing an event. And he actually said to me, I can see that you're at the end of your rope. And, you know, I had been really burning the candle at, at all the ends. I was sort of doing a side hustle of a coaching business while having my Hay House job, while traveling 200 days a year, while, you know, <laughs> just yeah. quit, while writing my second book, you know, all of this. And so he could really see that I was, you know, getting burned out. And I said, yeah, in fact, I, my intention for this walk was actually to tell you that I'm, that I'd like to quit my job. And he said to me, <laughs> oh, he no. said to me, I'll tell you when you can quit your job.
1: <laughs> right? Mm. It was
2: perfect. Yep. It was the best thing ever. Because what he said to me is, here's what I want to see you do. I want you to leave your job. But I want you to build your foundation so that you have something to go to. I want you to pub- publish that second book. And again, I was self-publishing. He didn't offer to publish my books. You know, I was self-publishing my second book uh, he said, you know, get your, get your social media, your all your, you know, get your, get all your platform in place, build a a solid client base so that when you leave this job, you're not, you know, you're not scrambling, you have something solid to go to. And it was tremendous advice. So then what happened was, you know, as I mentioned, that was probably summer of 2013. And so I, uh, I self-published Jump in Your Life will appear, my second book in Jan, excuse me in February 2014. Two months later, he called me and said, "Hey, your book is doing really well. Hay House wants to pick it up." So Hay House picked up that book in in uh, like maybe April or May, and then a couple weeks later, Reed called me and said, "Okay, you can go now." And I started bawling my eyes out. And I said, you know, are you firing me? And he said, I'm not firing you. This was our plan. This is what we talked about. This is the time. So what I feel, you know, so to your question of, you know, leaving and jumping and going out on my own, you know, I did it, in, I did it at a really slow, digestible pace. You know, I and I did this whole thing of really building my side hustle so that I had the confidence to leave knowing that I wouldn't be scrambling or, you know, eating ramen every day. <laughs> you know, I con, I right? was setting up I was really <laughs> setting right, I was setting up a foundation for myself to be able to leave.
1: Ramen's good though. And um, you know,
2: and to that end I'll also say, you know, it was it was a big shift in identity for me. You know, I had I had, you know, in in that world, you know, my position was uh, it had a certain cachet to it, you know, and sure. so it was a big deal of who am I if I am not this? Who am I if I'm no longer this? If I can't say I'm Nancy Levin, you know, Hay House event director, you know, who am I if I'm now just me?
1: Yeah, and who and who are you these days? Because it's you, it's <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> I love it all your books and all your things that you're doing. But when you're Nancy Levin, it's a. Do you think it's difficult, easy, you know, to to make that leap when you have that identity. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's like Elizabeth Garino, mom of four, you know, boys. Right. Okay, now they're all grown.
2: <laughs> mom of right.
1: four, I've been struggling with that sentence, like mom of four young men, mom of four sons, mom. <laughs> what, what do you do right. when the title changes a little bit?
2: Right. And, and I think what it really what really happens is it's, it's an invitation to turn your attention inward, because especially for those of us who have been, you know, who have been living other referenced lives. And I see it with my clients who are mothers all the time, especially more than anything else, you know, but for those of us who who have been people pleasers or overachievers or peacekeepers or not rock the boaters and, conflict avoiders and all the things that have us be looking at looking for the external validation or something to pin our worthiness to. And really that's what it is when we're identifying by some qualifying statement of event director or mama for, you know, we're pinning it to something outside of ourselves. And so to me, the whole journey is about coming back to shining the light on the inside and recognizing our sense of self-worth that has nothing to do with what's going on outside of us. And it's not pinned to any external validation, applause, approval. It's not pinned to what I do achieve or produce. It's simply here. And so then from that place, it's starting to come back, you know, because what's really been happening, whether we're conscious of it or not, is we've been abandoning ourselves for the sake of everyone else. And we've been doing it for so long that we're numb to it. And so mm-hmm. we have to be able, you know, it's really an invitation to come back and start checking in. And this is, you know, my latest book is called Permission to Put Yourself First. And then it's a beautiful transition into setting boundaries will set you free because this is really about what do I want? What do I need? What can I put my attention on inside of me? Can I give, my, can I give myself permission to want and need and desire? Can do I know my do I know my priorities? Do I know my non-negotiables? Do I know how to make myself a
1: priority? Love it! I love that word non-negotiables.
2: What yes, are those?
1: It's a big. Let's it's go a big, there for a minute. By the by the way, everybody listening, Nancy has a wonderful website, NancyLevin.com. If you're scrolling through on your phone while you're listening or whatever, Nancy NancyLevin is N-A-N-C-Y-L-E-V-I-N.com. Non-negotiables. That's Oh, powerful right there. Mm-hmm. What are those? What
2: yeah, even so for you? Are, what does you that know, mean? So, yeah, I will. And I'll say, you know, to me, my non-negotiables are are the are the commitments that I make to myself that I hold that are really most important to me. It's how I make myself a priority instead of making everyone else a priority over me. And so this can look like this can this can embody rituals and routines but this can also bring in the concept of boundaries. So, you know, if I the, the way I define boundary is our our limits around what we will or will not do, will or will not tolerate and will or will not accept. And so once we're clear on that, then we're also so we're clear on what we on what we on what we're not going to allow, but we're also getting more consciously clear about what we're curating to bring into our lives. So it's both, it goes both ways. Most people think boundary is a barrier and it's bad, but it's also really um, the way that we can protect and honor what is most important to us. So for me, my non-negotiables, I mean, the way that non-negotiables show up in my life are around an evening and a morning routine. So I, you know, have a very specific, like, you know, it's in the evening, first of all, I'm a very, I go to bed early and I, I'm an early to bed, early to rise kind of person. So my non-negotiables are really like, I need to be lights out by 930. And yes, there are extenuating circumstances. There are times I'm in the middle of, you know, speaking on a stage, I'm not going to excuse myself to go to bed. Right. in daily life, you know, my non-negotiable is, you know, is going to bed by nine 30. Cause I know that I'm up at five and I, I'm and too, I don't yeah. want to do anything to compromise my morning. And, you know, I do things also like before I go to bed, I put my phone into airplane mode. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm not bombarded by messages. And oh, that's how you that do that. Talk, huh? That is exactly <laughs> what I do. And I've been doing it for mode. years and it has made, oh. I put my phone into airplane mode when I go to sleep. I hear a lot of excuses from people. What about my kids? What about this? So, you know, there are ways Mm. um, I know on the iPhone, there are ways where you can actually let certain messages come in, but not all, you know, like in the do not disturb or whatever, you can set it up that if there's an emergency with a kid, you know, it, it will come in, but don't use that excuse of, but what about my kids to deprive yourself of space and time. So, yeah, I put my phone into airplane mode. I get up in the morning. I should say I have no kids. I put my phone into airplane <laughs> mode. I wake up in okay. the morning. I do not um I do not put my phone back on Wi Fi for it's generally an hour and a half to two hours once after I've been awake. Because I I get out of bed and I immediately go to meditate and then I read, I write, I have time with me first. And then and then only when I'm ready do I decide to put my Wi-Fi back on and look what's, and look what's there. But it's, so, it's made a huge difference in my um, – it's made a huge difference around my anxiety because I used to be a person who woke up in the morning thinking, what do I need to worry about today? And that would be my first mm-hmm. thought. What do Good I need point. to worry about today? And, you know, especially when I, when I was in my job at Hay House, like I was juggling one million balls. And there was always something or someone to have to worry about, um, let alone, you know, my marriage or my, you know, relationships or whatever. And since I have adopted this practice for the past about four years, um, it has made a significant difference in my, in, my, in just the, the, I would say, the well-being of my system. Because I'm yeah. making a choice to engage rather than be bombarded by interaction.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And, so and for um, me, that's a non-negotiable. <laughs> a no, it makes, non-negotiable. it makes such great sense. Yeah, when I was in my, mm-hmm. when I was in my probably mid-20s, I had this job in Minneapolis. And I would fly probably a good over 200,000 miles a year. And then I Mm -hmm. piled on my babies on top of it, and it was just like a recipe for my immune system to just be deadened. (laughs) I mean, that's why I I walk around with terrible food allergies, uh, just doing too much and so forth. And so, when I got when I and you know this when I got divorced and remarried and piled on a couple more babies, (laughs) I ended Mm -hmm. up just working doing working from home. And I think something gives, and I didn't want it to be the kids. Right. For sure. You know, do you, do you think that's, you know, we're in this overachieving, you know, I think this is probably mm-hmm. why you're talking about this fix my chop here. But, you know, I am a, I'm an overachiever, people pleaser, um, <laughs> a non-boundary right. person at moment, you know, all those things. And I definitely was then. And um, we live in this time where it's like be all to everyone, on the internet in person you know everywhere and so you're saying put some boundaries in place that's what I did I'm I mean I really had to put some boundaries, put some boundaries in place <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah and how do you, definitely how do, you
1: that. do that w- without making people mad because I know when I put boundaries in place it did not make people happy right
2: so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take the language you just used so we can't make people mad People have a choice about their emotions in response to us. But someone's response to our truth is not our responsibility.
1: Amen. So, Right?
2: So we, have to, <laughs> yep, so we have to really check around, because what ends up happening is we think we have more power or control than we have over another person, because actually we have none but we think that we can do something that will quote unquote make them mad or make them happy, you know? And so that's mm-hmm. what people Go believing so. is. We think we can do something to make people happy and we mm-hmm. can't.
1: That's up to them. Okay. I love this so, from your website. Oh, sorry. They were done. That's Keep okay. Going. Going. Go and so, What do you love? No, no, what no. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I love this. Um, okay. So it says, The life of your design. Add that into this, because that's a love, designing my own life. So much fun. Yeah, I mean, the life of
2: your design, because, you know, the way I would say with me is that, you know, for, for, you know, over four decades of my life, I was living someone else's life. Mm. And so (laughs) it's only, you know, it's only in the past, Maybe this maybe this last decade of my life that I've been living a life of my own design, you know that I've that I that I'm living life on my own terms. I would look at it that way. And so, I'm, go ahead.
1: Nope, you go ahead this time.
2: <laughs> well, I was just, I was just gonna say that you know, and so the piece about really getting clear on. You know what what we what we were saying before is really critical this whole idea that we that we can that we can control someone else's feelings or that something we can do can control their feelings and so it's really getting clear on you know back to the boundary piece of what's my truth and how do I live in my truth because you know what I see time and time again in myself and in my thousands of clients I've coached we all we're all hiding stuff something we think we need to hide in order to be loved and accepted. So we're hiding some skeleton in the closet secret. We're hiding some aspect or part of ourselves. We're hiding something that we think if if they saw the real me, they wouldn't love me or accept me. And we spend so much energy, you know, putting on the mask and wearing the cape and the armor and hiding when right next to that, there's this whole other thing happening of, I just want to be loved for the truth of who I am. And yet we can't be loved for the truth of who we are if we're not going to reveal the truth of who we are. (laughs) And so, yeah. And so, you know, part of this, part of this whole conversation of permission to put yourself first and setting boundaries is really being able to confidently stand in our truth, knowing that, if other people are impacted by our truth now listen I want to be clear I'm not saying just be reckless and go ahead and you know be disrespectful I'm but what I'm saying is honor your own truth more than being concerned with someone else's well-being because for too long we've been actually taking the hit our own well-being has been taking the hit mm-hmm.
1: do you do you think this applies? to teenagers? Think about think about being more. in high I'm school clear what for a asking. moment with me. <laughs> what do you say? Yep.
2: I'm not I'm not a hundred percent clear what you're at like are oh. you saying you talking to teenagers or the teenager teenagers doing this? I'm not clear what you're saying.
1: I think teenagers doing this because I think mm-hmm. about just being in high school and and our audience is Varies in age. We have a lot of high school kids who listen to this mm-hmm. show. I'm always surprised. Mm-hmm. And um so, all you teenagers out there, or college kids listening, how can you put yourself first, and how do you do that, even if maybe you're gr- growing and learning about yourself at the same yep. time? Is it super important to always, you know, because your 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 truth about yourself might change a little bit as you learn and grow? but it's always important to be authentically you. I mean, here's the
2: bottom line. I don't think I ever, I never set a boundary until I was in my forties. I didn't even know what a boundary was. Yep. And if I had learned all of this in my teens or my twenties, I mean, my God, my life would be so different. I wouldn't have married the man I married, which would have, you know, set me on an entirely different trajectory.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a little you know, bit in terms mad. Of, he, you know, I you read your diaries. <laughs> so I heard he, yeah, read, he did. I he you read my journals. I he told me time journals. he read your diaries. Wait. I'm just like, that makes me so mad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he read so? my journals.
2: But I'll tell you the truth is that the fact that he read my journals, that was, for me, the catalytic oh my God, experience of me being able to launch into who I am now, you know, because – I can tell you that if he hadn't have read the journals and I'd stayed in the marriage, I would still be that people-pleasing, peacekeeping person. (laughs) I would not be talking to you now because I wouldn't be the author of five books. I wouldn't be a coach. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be all these things because I was living a
1: very different life. What about, what is it about you that changed aside from that moment? did you have a, 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 how did you, how did you do that? Did you have like a a conversation with yourself, a conversation with somebody else? How did you reach, talk a little bit about yeah. that. Make, if you can make yourself vulnerable for me, for me I'm, and for the I'm audience happy a little to make bit. make myself vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know so you are.
2: Real, you know, the real, yeah, the real pivot point for me was, you know, and the whole story is in Jump In Your Life Will Appear, but the real pivot point yes. for me was, you know, coming home from this business trip to ultimately discover that my husband of 18 years had read my journals and I had over 70 volumes. And I walked in the door and he was holding four volumes and said, I'm going to make copies of pages and send them to your friends, your parents, your coworkers, and let's see what they think when they find out about the real Nancy. And so you know, he knew that my greatest fear was any sort of exposure. And the truth is that no one knows how to push your buttons more than someone you've been married to for 18 years. So I, you know, I had been up until that point living in such a way where I was projecting this image of perfection to the world. And I was, I was managing the perception of others. So, in other words, I was giving people the very specific lens to see me through. I only wanted to be seen a certain way, and so my marriage had been crumbling for quite some time. But I kept, as we often do, you know, any red flag I ignored, any whispering voice I shoot away, you know. And at by this time, it's now screaming but I'm so numb to it because I don't want to embark on the change and I don't want to face myself. I don't want to face what's really happening. So in that moment, when I walked in the door, it was clear to me that I had a choice. That was a real choice point in my life. I could either go back to sleep, you know, stay in the crumbling marriage, do everything I could to, you know, turn myself into a pretzel. And it was a really difficult scenario because, my my marriage was one filled with rage his and filled with silence mine <laughs> so i had no voice i didn't know how to react or respond in any healthy way and it was it was highly abusive it was very challenging for me and yet i didn't know a way out so that night it took me two years to leave the marriage from that night. That was April 12th, 2008. And it took me two years until 2010 to leave the marriage. But I left the house that night and I went to a hotel that was nearby. And he called me the next morning, very early and said, if you're not home in 20 minutes, I'm calling your parents and your sister. And I'm going to tell them what's going on. So I got my parents on the phone because I knew he wasn't bluffing. And I knew it was my responsibility to start taking ownership of my life. And I got my parents on the phone and I said, I want to let you know that it's highly likely we're getting a divorce. And my mother said, what happened? And I said, well, I got home last night and he read my journals and discovered that eight years ago I had an affair. And my mother said, without missing a beat, I'm so sorry you've been carrying this around all by yourself for eight years. And this led to a very profound healing with my mother. And from that point on, I, you know, here's the thing. I know that I set a bomb in my journal eight years prior to detonate at some point because who I was at that time didn't have a voice to be able to go to my husband and say, you know, I'm not happy. You know, I don't want to stay married. I don't want to be here. I didn't know how to do that. So I did what I, I did what I thought I could do at the time. I'm not, I'm not, you know, here as an advocate for infidelity. It's just simply, it's simply what right. the option I took at the time. And the, the bottom line is that when we don't tell the truth, the truth will come out and it will come out sideways. It will come out in self-destructive ways. It will come out in illness. It'll come out in self-sabotage, but it will come out. Because we create a lot of chaos in our lives to avoid telling the truth.
0: Mm,
1: That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. That's a Mm -hmm. really good point. Can can I ask you, I want to ask you another personal question. So you're you're in this marriage and I think so many people, um, I don't know the statistics or anything, you know, for real. But it seems like a lot of people stay in marriages because they're not financially okay. And you seemed financially okay. What was it that kept you in that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was the breadwinner, actually. Yeah.
1: Uh, for me, it
2: was it was really about shame. It was really about it was really about letting people see the truth. It was about I didn't want to I didn't want to see the truth of who I was, so I didn't want anyone else to see the truth.
1: I get it. And I yeah. didn't want
2: to be a failure. I didn't want to be I didn't want anyone to say I told you so. You shouldn't have married this particular person. Um, yeah. It's always a
1: nice sentence, isn't it? I told you. I'm sorry? That's always a nice sentence, isn't it? I told you not to do that. Yeah, I mean, for me,
2: there was a lot of, like, I was still trying to prove Uh something. I was still trying to earn something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't want to be wrong. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to live in the shame. It was all of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's what I was saying before. Like, if I had learned things, if I, you know, put certain things in place around boundaries and permission to put myself first and all of this in my teens and twenties, you know, to me, that is, I mean, that's such a, it's such a rock solid foundation that
1: I never had. So I like, as you're talking about the life you designed with put yourself first and tell the truth and and claim your true worth, can you talk about self-worth and self-love? Sure. <laughs> I mean, huh. I think
2: to me, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it all comes down to this. I mean, I think, I think it's the most, the most important relationship we will ever be in in our lives is the one that we have with ourselves. And yet I think it's the one that we most often neglect. You know, yeah. we're so quick to override a promise we make to ourselves or a commitment we make to ourselves. We're so quick to override it which is why I really bring in the importance of these non-negotiables, you know, that we start to really show ourselves that we can, that we can actually show up for ourselves, that we can honor the promises that we make to ourselves. You know, we're so, we're so quick to look for someone else outside of us to validate the worth. like I was saying earlier. And so the love has to begin, the love has to begin here. We think that we think that our, relationship to ourselves is going to shift by something someone on the outside shows us or gives us and we have it dot backwards it's really about what we believe about ourselves all of this begins with beliefs because our limiting beliefs our shadow beliefs are imprinted on us when we are very very young and we go through our lives with these beliefs and you know the, these beliefs can sound like you know anything. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm unlovable. There must be something wrong with me. All of all of our limiting beliefs ultimately filter in the single, into the singular belief of I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of happiness. I'm not worthy of money. I'm not worthy of joy whatever it might be, but it's this fundamental sense of unworthiness that we think something outside is going to fix. And so we go through our lives with these beliefs, and what happens is our beliefs are magnetic. And we will draw toward (laughs) us the very circumstances, situations, relationships that will reinforce what we believe about ourselves. And so that's why it's so important to do this this work around shifting our beliefs around to self-love around to knowing our self-worth. I mean, the self-worth piece is huge. You know, So I wrote a book called Worthy, uh, Boost Your Self-Worth to Grow Your Net Worth. And the origin point for that book was the moment I was in my divorce mediation. And going into the mediation, my lawyer had said, our position will be no maintenance for him you know, he's healthy and able-bodied. He doesn't work because he hasn't wanted to work. And you've been, you know, you've been the breadwinner, but he's able to work. He just has not. And so my lawyer, you know, we went into this divorce mediation in agreement that we weren't going to pay any maintenance in the divorce. And I thought that was what we had agreed to. And then within moments, his, you know, his lawyer had come in with, this whole you know a whole song and dance and the next thing i know my lawyer is negotiating so in other words my lawyer didn't say no my lawyer started to negotiate and because i didn't know that i could say no i didn't know about i didn't have the self worth to be able to stand up for myself and say i'm not going to agree to this i agreed to a lot of things that that really were against everything i believed in but I agreed. And then what happens, so this, this, you know, it was like, because I didn't have the self-worth in that moment, there was tremendous impact on my net worth. And so for me, there was a real learning there. It was one of those catch 22 moments. You know, it was really one of the darkest, darkest moments of my life. And it was the only thing that could have taught me what I now know around my own self-worth and around standing up for myself and having a voice and saying no.
1: it's one of my favorite books that you wrote. I love
2: that book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I I love that book too. Thank you. And so, (laughs) you know, for me, it was, it was really critical. Yeah. It was really critical that whole, you know, that whole experience needed to happen that way for me to learn what I needed to learn around that. And then to be able to, you know, the other side of that, and I'll add this in around, you know, to me, it's, it's the other component is, really standing in responsibility. So for, you know, a couple of years, I was really in the mindset of, he took this from me,
0: you know, he took
2: money or he took property or, you know, you know, I have, I had to pay, you know, this much, or, you know, it was very much blaming and it was very much victim for me. And the massive shift for me occurred when I was able to step into responsibility and say, I said, yes, I signed the paper. I said, yeah, I gave him these things that I've been saying he took from me. And that was a profound, pivotal moment of my own healing.
1: Do you um, No, I completely agree. I, I I think I used to be a lot like that with um, self-love and self-worth. Um, met a guy named Gary Kobad, who was like, I'm going to teach you a lot about self-love and self-worth because it kept Entering pageants or a, a, a this or that, you know, something that would fill that gap or void or pit or whatever it was that mm-hmm. I kept thinking that add another, add another credential or an accolade or this or that would make me mm-hmm. a whole. And I really had to go back and, you know, what really taught me that, uh, honestly, uh, uh, mm. the being a Hay House author i I really was under the impression that once you signed with Hay House and had a book with Hay House, well, you know that was it you were you were good to go, you know kind of thing <laughs> um, it's so much work, <laughs> and yep. what i what I love is that you know they're with me through learning that they have not dropped me <laughs> as I had to learn that mm-hmm. I really didn't understand what marketing your own book meant or you know. Teaching, what you're actually saying. I really didn't understand that at all because all I could think about from kindergarten was becoming a writer. And to me, becoming Mm. a writer was having a book published and it was done after that. You Ah. know what I mean? I just didn't Ah. understand the complexities of any part of the book publishing world. And so your, your hug in Denver meant so much to me because I really was, I mean, truly lost, like, what am I doing and how do I do this? And it's really taken me a long time to figure it out. I get that. My you book,
2: know,
1: it's, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, my book has been consistently selling, <laughs> but you know, that's what it does it just sort of consistently grows with it It percolates as I percolate and that makes me so happy you know people are like oh you didn't end up on the New York Times bestseller list I'm like I don't think that's what this whole thing this particular book and journey was meant to be I think this book was a lesson I hope it's a lesson to everybody
2: yeah I you know I teach I teach in the Hay House Writers workshops and have for years and one of you know, there's so many myths that we end up busting about the book publishing journey and what, you know, what you're speaking to is one of them. You know, a lot of a lot of authors think, oh, I write the book and then I'm done.
1: And yeah.
2: the truth of the matter is you write the book and then the work really begins.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you can feel like you because, suck. I mean, you really can right, completely well, feel like you suck. It's like, wow, there's there's a lesson in self-confidence, worth and love right there. Oh, my
2: God. Yeah, and really what it was is that, you know, you weren't prepared. And I think when nope. we're not prepared, that's when we go to the feeling, you know, feeling less than or feeling, not feeling confident and not feeling like enough. But really it's that you just weren't prepared because the, tr- the truth is whether whether we self-publish or whether we're published by a traditional publishing house, it's up to us to get the books in people's hands. And I think most people think that, you know, oh, if I'm getting published by a publisher, they are going to do that work for us. And, you know, it's really up to us to build that platform. Like I was talking about earlier when Reed said to me, you know, so this is really about like building all the social media presence, getting your mailing list, you know, all these things, you know, so for anyone out there who's listening and you want to publish a book, like (laughs) these are the pieces that need to be put in place because I see so many aspiring authors now who come to these workshops who have no idea what it takes on the other side of actually writing the book. Like writing the book is one part and obviously a very important part, but what happens on the whole other side of the book being published? The other thing I'll say is that it's really important to know that writing a book is, that, you know, writing can be cathartic, but publishing is not, especially when there's any form of vulnerability or exposure involved because it's a whole Gosh. other thing to have it then be out there. That is such good advice right there. I,
1: co- I completely yeah. agree with you because, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So I, let's talk, I, you are in, I, I saw a picture of you. Uh, I'm just going to shift gears off that and maybe we'll come back to it a little Great. bit. Cause sure. I think a lot of people listen to people who have books published, i self-published, self-published books too, and they they want to know more about the process and so forth. So maybe we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But okay, um, sure. I really, because we yeah, cause we only have like 15 minutes left, I really wanted to talk yeah, to you anything. about the importance of health tied into all of this. Because I can only imagine, mm-hmm. like as the event director at Hay House, and then from my like my own personal experience of flying around, jet setting, you know, and you know, doing my jobs. Um, my health just didn't exist. <laughs> I was sick all the time. Mm. Do you, what's the importance that you place on health in the background of all of this, like a foundational part of this? It's so interesting that you asked this question,
2: and I'm going to answer it. I mean, I feel like I'm going to answer it in such a weird way. <laughs> okay. Um, so when I was in my marriage, part of the context of my marriage was that my husband was very controlling. And he was very controlling of what I wore, what I ate, how I, how I moved my body and my body fat percentage. So he was incredibly controlling about my body. And I allowed, I enabled him to be that. I, I allowed him to be that. So a big piece of my own journey has been the evolution of being able to be with my body as it is now when it is not being controlled by someone else and to recognize the difference around the self-care and the self-love of how I treat my body now that isn't related to external appearance. So I think that a lot of us get hung up on health in terms of the way that we are in terms of the way that we are being seen. Mm So I eat, I eat, I eat well. I, I hike a lot. I, I have good sleep hygiene. I take vitamins. I do all the things and really my and really my relationship to health is is keeping myself literally healthy but it's i've moved it away from um, from appearance very well put
1: <laughs> very Thank well
2: you. put it's I, it's, I, it's a very uh, big piece of my journey you know because yeah. i was someone who even grew up you know i grew up with and I love my mother, but I grew up with my mother, you know, the constant refrain was hold your stomach in. <laughs> Stand up straight with mine. And <laughs> right, so, you know, and so, you know, what I've really started to realize now all these years later is that, you know, there's a real correlation to being told all my life, you know, told in my young life for my mother, hold your stomach in to the way that translated to hold your tongue, hold your voice you know, hold it all in. Mm-hmm. And then what is even the language we use about, especially women, you know, when it's like we say, oh, she's let herself go. And the difference, and, what, you know, to me, there's something really profound there of, like, we've been taught to hold it in, and then we're criticized for letting it all go. But really the letting it all go is, is when we actually come into
1: self-expression. Love it. Tell me a little bit more about that. What's that mean? Teach me because yeah, I you love know, just, this advice. <laughs> this is, this is <laughs> good, <laughs> okay, juicy yeah. stuff to not look in the mirror and hate yourself. Yay.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah, so I just think, I think it's just about relating to myself, you know, just really, again, to me, this comes back to the, you know, making myself a priority and putting myself first. What do I want? What do I need? As opposed to it being some kind of um, concern, instead of it being a concern about a reflection outward.
1: Yeah. My husband will say, you are so hard on yourself. You're your own worst critic. Mm Mm-hmm. I love you the way yeah. you are. Yeah. Want to expand on that yeah. one? <laughs> it's probably really well, true for a lot again, of people. But
2: again, it's, it's, right. But again, it's, but again, it's, it's not so much about what he says to you, it's what you say to you.
1: Yeah. I agree. I'm probably it's my own not, worst critic. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. all are.
2: We are all going to judge ourselves more harshly than anyone else judges us.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm on this, I'm on this thing, you know, you turn 50 and you're like, okay, so it's super popular to be on YouTube. And I think, okay, super popular versus what do I actually need? What do I actually want to do? What can I actually, you know, what do I like to do? You know, that kind of thing. I had this thing about TV for the longest time, It's choppy, but I'm, I'm, my degrees are in television communications, So I'm used to huge Mm -hmm. light kits and studios and all this stuff. So for the longest time been like, well, yeah, I can be on YouTube, but I'm going to need a whole light studio in the house, <laughs> let me just tell you, you know, kind of thing, and it's like, finally, that lift is, I don't know what it was, but I was like, I think I'm just going to do this, and I, I've been putting, I'm, it's a reach, it's a real stretch for me, because in reality, I'm pretty darn shy Um, to be on, I mean, I put a video, Nancy, on my website, like an actual YouTube video on my website, a huge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no light kit, no professional camera, <laughs> you know what I am mean? kind of used mm-hmm. to those things. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to do this and talk and talk a talk about um, a moment of just like, oh, there, now I can just chill out. I did that, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it, I, it's hard to, to go, you know, you almost have to make yourself super uncomfortable to grow always kind of say that. Do you think that's good yeah, or I mean, I th- And I think it's no, about, I don't think but it's I also think it's
2: about yeah. like getting, it's about like finding the comfort in the discomfort,
1: yeah. you know,
2: getting more comfortable with the
1: discomfort. Yeah. That's a really good <laughs> getting comfort in say that again. Finding getting, more finding...
2: comfort in the discomfort. discomfort.
1: Yeah. yeah. Because you know,
2: like, I really think about this, and there's a whole piece in my book, um, Permission to Put Yourself First, about cozying up to conflict. So whether it's internal conflict or external conflict. And the truth is that <laughs> the more we avoid external conflict, we're creating more internal conflict. But really what it's about is is dropping the need for everything to always be okay. Hmm. So that we're not caught up in the, what do I need to do or say to make everything be okay?
1: It's not always, is it?
2: No. And, and it's not even honest for everything to be okay all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's
2: It's really, yeah. It's about like being okay. You know, that harmony is not the goal because the truth of the matter is that when we're, when we're constantly seeking harmony at all costs, it
1: comes at a really high cost and it comes at <laughs> yeah, a high cost. I'm quoting cost. you on that. I got to write that down. Great. I go for it. <laughs> Tell me that again. Harmony at all. What did I when say?
2: Constantly, when yeah. When we're, constantly? when we're, yeah, when we're striving for harmony at all costs uh, at all costs, yeah, it comes at a high cost.
1: There you go. Hang on. At a high cost. Okay. I'm putting that out there. I'm quoting that. All right. Okay. We have ten minutes left. Do, can you? Um, that's a that's a really important thing to remember. I'm going to noodle on that for a while. <laughs> I might I'm gonna have to write a, a, <laughs> a post about what you just said and what that means to me, if that's okay with you, because that's a that's powerful right there, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, oh, I need I need and want to do this, but I'm terrified that people are going to. Judge me and go oh you're 50 and you have wrinkles Ugh. you know all the crap that people do and I'm just like you know I'm doing this and you know what I got I and I don't I don't need people to like go. oh it's so great or whatever it just for once in my life it made in that once in my life but you know once doing that it made me actually feel proud of me not somebody else I could have cared less what anybody said it just was something mm-hmm. I wanted to do and it's Proudly displayed mm-hmm. right on the website. So I am happy about that. So whatever, right? And sometimes when you yeah, make yourself I mean, happy, other people follow. So it's all good, right? Yeah.
2: And I think right. I think that it's it's more it's more about coming into what actually makes me happy. I mean yeah. for you know, I, I for a lot of my life I was I was really someone who thought happiness and fun were for other people because they weren't drivers in my life. You know, happiness, fun, pleasure, those are not things that have driven me. And so what I had to understand is that what I was really relating to was the way that other people defined fun and happy and play. And I had to find Mm. what it was for me. Yeah. Because the things that most other people relate to are not the things that I relate to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have a. I was talking to my mom while I was in Minnesota this past month, and um, I I loved the conversations I had with my mom. We had a lot of downtime, um, because she had surgery, and, and I I was talking to you while I was there a little bit, and I appreciate your love and support with with my mom mm-hmm. and everything. I had this mm-hmm. wonderful conversation with her about how a lot of us are walking around with some form of grief and nobody else ever really knows about it. So like internal mm-hmm. head noise or strife or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I'm convinced that about a hundred percent of people are walking around that way with something, yeah. either shame or grief or stress or whatever it is. And it doesn't appear that way when you meet them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you think everything's just fine and dandy, and in the meantime, you scratch a little bit below the surface, and it's unraveling in some in some yeah. form. And it's it makes me really yeah, think, think about all, other people. We've,
2: yeah, we've all got that going on, and I think that's also why there's you know why it's such a detriment. There's an expression you know I often see it used about like Instagram. You know, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. You know, mm. and so. You know to take a moment to really consider you know what what's happening for other people too,
1: yeah, very much so because I think we all need each other a lot um, can i I might we might bump over the hour i hope I'm hoping not but but I want to open up a little bit of more about what you're doing because you have a whole coaching um, oh, oh you're teaching people to be life coaches' I You're am. a master in I, I am. love it yep, I so Thank Tell you. us, and if we run over, I'm good with that. If you are, because I want to hear all about this. Okay, amazing. so yeah, I mean, I oh, I just opened the
2: doors. It's open right Yay. now. Oh, so <laughs> the God. doors to Eleven Life Coach Academy, and all the details are on my website. And yeah, it was really important to me to create a training and certification program that was comprehensive and that will prepare coaches to be skilled, confident, and profitable. So, it's really for anyone who wants to uh, have to build a career, build a business of life coaching. Also, for people who have already been certified, have several people who've joined the program who actually already have certifications from elsewhere but want to come in here because they want to fill their toolbox some more and they want to get more of what I'm offering. And then it's really for anyone who's wanting to do the deep dive into personal development and it's you know a beautiful complement to enhance a current career so there's many ways that the life coach training can be utilized and you know for me it was really important to build a program it's a year-long program it has six modules there's an ongoing alumni membership afterward for continued support and really important uh, foundational pieces are that are that uh, you know, you'll have the experience of being coached, so you'll get to do your own healing work. You'll have modules where you're learning coaching skills, and then you'll have module, a module where there's a full-blown practicum, so you're going to get a lot of practice. Because what I see more than anything is that we, we, the reason we're not confident is that we're unprepared. So I want to give full preparation and then there's a whole component around uh, business building because I see that that's something missing too. I've seen so many coaches out there who uh, don't even know what, don't even know how to get a client, let alone what to do with a client once they get them. So again, with the preparation, but also with the business building, so that it can be a profitable choice. And so. And it's Levin Life Coach Academy. Levin Life Coach Academy. Uh, the, the direct URL to that is nancylevin.com slash academy, but there's also a link to it right on my website. And what is Destination Me? Destination Me is my private coaching membership. So it's, I, I created that because I really wanted to have a very, very affordable, accessible way to, to work with me. So it, there's, a, there's a monthly basis or an annual basis, And there's a phenomenal uh, engaged community there as well. So if that, you know, so it's it's sort of like a nice entry point to learn and experience what it's
1: like to work with me. What do you think about this sentence? Again, pardon my chop. (laughs) Somebody said to me, I can't be a life coach and I can't write for best ever you because my life isn't perfect. How could I possibly give advice (laughs) to other people? I love it. I'm like right. that's exactly why yeah. we need so, you. <laughs>
2: well, the first thing I'll say there is coaching is not advice giving. Coaching okay. is not about giving advice. Coaching is not about telling people what to do or telling people what you would do if you were them. Coaching is about guiding a client to his or her own experience. So it's guiding a client to his or her own her his or her own transformation. And the important piece there is really recognizing that we are, we really need to be agenda free. This is not about my agenda. This is about me hopping on board with your vision and giving you the guidance to help you get there and holding you accountable to the commitment that you're making to yourself to get there. So here's the thing my life isn't perfect. But I'm, I've moved, you know, I see a lot of people coaching what, from what I call coaching from the middle, from the middle of their own healing. So they're not on the other side of it. And then what happens is when they're coaching another client, they're getting re-triggered, re-traumatized, reactivated. So that's why it's so important to me as part of my coach training to take, to take my students through the healing work so they can get to the other side so they're no longer coaching from the middle. And then all you need to do is be a certain amount of just a certain amount further along on the journey to be able to show the path to someone else.
1: Very good. I'm excited for that. Um, thank and you, me super, too. Yeah. And and I know you don't like this, but I am super proud of you. I think it, just watching everything that you've what done do you over the like past that? Well, I don't know. If you like to be told I'll be proud of you. I I just am super proud of everything that I appreciate you're that you're doing proud of me. good. Okay. I don't Thank take offense you. to that. <laughs> I don't take any offense uh, to that. Good because um, I, I you know i love i I love being told you know oh i'm so proud of you, but not in that sense of like oh that that's going to you know root in my you know being of everything that I am or whatever you know but i do i I believe in telling people when i'm super proud of them, and um it's really neat to watch you grow and change and see all you're doing and um, and i've kept you over here, but i just I wish you continued success and thank you for being so reachable and real. That's that's thank you. You're very welcome. Get go. You're just reachable and real. And um, I, I do not end shows very well. So would you like to teach me how to end (laughs) a radio show once and for all? (laughs) You're you're sweet. (laughs) Listen to the history of 500 shows and I never end them right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, one thing that I'm just thinking about here that I think can help everyone is I always believe that where we are right now is the culmination of all the choices, actions, and decisions we've made up until now. So if we want something in our lives to be different, we have to make different choices. So the way I look at it, our present moment choices are the crystal ball. Our present moment choices predict our future because every choice we make is going to serve us or sabotage us. So we want to make sure we're making choices and taking action That move us into that life that we most desire, and so I, I want to support everyone in just giving yourself permission to make the choices, and take the action, that put yourself in the place of being your priority.
1: Love it. All right, I'm gonna be quiet, and say thank you for being with us. (laughs) We try to end Mm, this properly. My pleasure. And. Yeah. Thank you guys all for listening. And Nancy, thank you for being with us. You can learn You're more at Nancy. Welcome. Thank you. And you can learn more at Nancy 11.com and um, oh, Nancy 11.com slash Academy is going to be wonderful and is wonderful. And I'm looking forward to seeing that grow and everything as well. So thank you all for listening. And um, Oh, I know we just, syndicated on Spotify as well so I just wanted to tell everybody that before we go Exciting. so yes we're syndicated yeah. on iHeartRadio Spotify and iTunes and then a lot of other places where podcasts are heard so you can listen to us on full replay this was live and taped live and we appreciate your listening so Nancy are there any other things before we go we covered it we're good I hope you come back again Yay! I would love to thank you so much All right, everybody, take care. Have a wonderful Best Ever You Day, and we will talk again soon. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You